Welcome to Rock Harbor Church's channel on Sermon Audio. We hope this message is a blessing to you and helps you in your daily walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So please, settle in and grab your Bibles. Here's Pastor Brandon with this message. All right, so uh, let me give you the lowdown a little bit um, before we start in. Um, we are now, uh, uh, this is the last night we will, t- uh, we're going to take a big break in November because um, next week um, I'm in Israel along with a lot of our staff. Yeah, so a lot of us that are going will have a good time, I'm sure, but that means for the next two weeks, nothing on Wednesday nights, and then you roll into Thanksgiving week. And so nothing uh, that Thanksgiving week. So we, we will resume the week after, the Wednesday after Thanksgiving, which I don't know what date that is, but uh, is it the 30th? Okay, so Wednesday the 30th, we'll be back on. I plan to take us all through most of December. I'll probably stop the week before Christmas on Wednesday night. We'll see how it goes. Um, but usually I go pretty deep into December um, so we probably have three or four more classes after that. So uh, we're just going to have a temporary uh, uh, timeout, and uh, and that way uh, give you guys a little break. Um, and I'm not going to be on break because I'll be teaching in Israel. So, Father, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to gather together. It's always good to be with the people of God and to fellowship and have that sweet koinonia. Um, that we so desperately need, especially in times like this. Thank you, Father, for providing this for us. Uh, it is such a blessing. But now as we study, give us insight and wisdom into uh, your word and how we apply these things in our lives. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're, we're talking about Satan promoting division in the church. And obviously, like I, I mentioned last week, you can, you can apply these principles um, not only to the church, but to society, to the nation, to uh, your own family. Your, and even you can take it down to your marriage, okay? And so the application of this is, is, is very broad. Um, but we'll look at it from the church, but I'll apply it on a, a more narrow level as well, okay? So I think we got through these last time, right? Okay. And so the next one I want to talk about is um, the way Satan promotes division in the church is people playing victims when they are the actual perpetrator, okay? Now, on a national level, this is what's happening um, as a tactic of the left, okay? Or of the ungodly, or of Satan. Satan does this tactic. So the left didn't invent it, Satan did. Satan accuses, he's the accuser of the brethren, right? But Satan, as as you watch what he does in biblical history, he accuses people of that which he is doing, okay? And and so when you see, you know, um, these crazy people in society and politics saying this kind of stuff, that's satanic to do that kind of methodology. And so, um, you know, when they accuse us of being hateful and and racist and all that stuff, when actually they are the ones that are racist, right? So, so that's the, that's the accus- playing the victim when they're the perpetrator. So this, obviously, you see going on in society. It's a major thing. Like, you know, them saying that, okay, we're, since we're talking about voting, 
you know, Biden comes out, and I saw in the New York Times that Biden comes out and says, uh, yeah, you know, well, uh, we're really going to have to watch these elections because, you know, the, the, the GOP is probably going to cheat and, and the, we, the elect, try to attempt election fraud and yada, yada. And I'm thinking, dude, you hypocrite. You flat-out hypocrite. But playing the victim, okay? And other people saying, you know, this election's not going to be fair. We're going to question the election. And it's like, wait a second. You, you said we were un-American to question the first election over there with uh, your guy, Sleepy Joe. But it, you can question the election of Donald Trump. And you can question the election already ahead of time in this one. How is it that you can do it, but we can't? You see what I'm saying? That's playing the victim when they're the perpetrator. Okay. So what ends up happening then on a church level, so let's just start with the, the basis of understanding on a church level where it's seen primarily because of Satan's attack on the church, is to get people to perpetrate something, to cause problems, um, and cause enough people problems to where when, it, when you realize that there's a single voice that's causing the problem, and everybody from this guy to this girl to this person to that person is having problems, you get the common denominator that, okay, it's or originating from this person right here, okay? And so, um, as a good church, you should go after that and nail it. And you confront it and deal with it, and hopefully it can resolve itself and work itself out that, you, you know, the person stops doing what they're doing, whether it's gossiping, lying, backbiting, accusations without witnesses or whatever. But here's the thing. Generally speaking, in the majority of cases, they won't own it. They just won't own it. Why is that? When they're the one talking, they're the one backbiting, they're the one gossiping, they're the one causing problems. Why won't they own it? Their pride? Yeah, that, that comes into it, yes. Why won't Joe Biden own? What he, why doesn't Hillary Clinton own it? It's pride. You know what I mean? When, when Hillary Clinton questioned the election, you know, on Tr Donald Trump or whatever. But now it's wrong to question the election of Joe Biden. Why is that? Money? Spiritual deception, yeah. There's a, it's a spiritual issue, guys. No, no doubt, don't get me wrong, there's, there's stakes involved. I mean, people's reputation, there's money involved sometimes. But at the end of the day, what, what I'm trying to show you is Satan is doing this. So the background on these people doing what they're doing is satanic, okay? They don't have to know that. What I'm supposed to look at and what you're supposed to look at is does the behavior match what Scripture warns about? And if it does, then I know the origin of that. Is it possible that a, a, a believer can be manipulated by Satan to do something like that and play the victim? Of course. Do not think for a moment that it is above any Christian to play the victim when they're the perpetrator, okay? So then, then this, this is what happens. The majority of the people who get caught and get confronted will not claim responsibility. They will not do a mea culpa. 
saying, yeah, doggone it, I was wrong to do that. Shucks. In those cases I've had to deal with in the last 20-something years, 99% won't own it. In my interactions, okay? Maybe the stats are better somewhere else in another church. 99% of the issues we have to deal with won't own it. There is a 1%. There is, and they will own it and repent and sorry, I didn't know what I was doing. I was crazy and yada, 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 and everything works itself out. It's great, man, when the 1%. But the majority of them don't. And the, I mean, high majority won't own it. Okay, so what do they do if you don't own it? If you won't own what you're doing, then you have to look to blame others and you start saying, well, there's a witch hunt against me. They're just trying to get at me. And uh, I'm the one right and everyone's wrong. And um, they'll start saying, look how that church treated me with no grace. That's the quintessential thing. They say, that church has no grace. That's what they'll say. That church is legalistic. Yes, that church is judgmental. That church um, uh, is unloving. Okay, I've heard it all. I've heard it all. You can't throw anything my way I haven't heard. And I want to say, hey, dude, why, why don't we do a little walk down memory lane? And, and I'm not going to do this to you, but do you really want to go there with me? Because they will. They do want to go there with you. And you want, okay, fine. If you're going to play that game, I will expose you. Because if you will play the game correctly and own it, you have all the grace in the world and mercy that, that anyone could give. Because, well, that's how you get grace and mercy is through repentance. Okay, that's how you get it. That's how you get it from God, right? I'm not doing anything different. So you hold someone's feet to the fire and say, look, I got witnesses that said you did this, this, and this, and I, based on two and three witnesses, you're nailed. Well, this is a posse, this is a witch hunt, all this other stuff. Okay, so if you're not gonna repent and stop it, which apparently you're not appearing to do, you must leave. We're not the right church for you. We're, 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 this is not the place for you, okay? Because what can you do with someone who won't own it and won't repent? There's nothing you can do. You have to separate. So now is a good time for us to separate. You need to go your way, we'll go our way, and we'll just leave it at that, okay? That's still not good. They won't take that option. They won't. They won't separate in a friendly way, in an amicable way, even when you give them that grace. So what they do is once they get outside of the organization, they will slander you and say what a wicked person you are, what a legalist you are, un unloving, uncaring, ungraceful, unmerciful, 
They will say all those things about you, okay? None of it which is true because I would like to say, do you really want to tell everybody what the real story is? Hmm? Do you want to? Do you want to go down that path? And you say, I'm not gracious, but you're the one cheating on your wife. And you say, we're not gracious because you won't stop. And you tell other people we're unloving because you won't stop committing adultery with your, on your wife. You think we're unloving by telling you to stop doing that? When did that become unloving? The most loving thing is we're trying to protect your wife from your crazy antics. You see what I'm saying? It's always like that. And so they go cry their sad story on someone else's shoulder that has no clue what's going on. You see how bad that church is, see how bad that leader is, see how bad this person is. And it's like, dude, don't even go there because you and I both know what the issue is and you won't make it right. And it's, it's big stuff like that, okay? It's big stuff. It's not like, well... Uh, you know, we see things differently or, you know, there's shades of, uh, uh, you know, of, of, well, man, I can see this and I can see, no, no, no. It's like black and white issues. You need to stop cheating on your wife. Right? It's stuff like that. It's a black and white issue. It's a non-issue. Stop it or else we kick you out or whatever the issue might be, right? Okay? And, and, and what ends up happening is, they don't want to own their sin because they like their sin. They like stealing. They like committing adultery. They like sexual immorality. That's why they won't stop and repent. They want to have a season where they do what they want to do. Well, guess what? You're not going to do it on our dime. You go do it and you can do it out there, but you're not doing it here and pretending that we're unloving and unkind. So at the end of the day, you must understand when you get this kind of individual, they will play the victim and say, you're the perpetrator. Every time, every time. And you have to be strong enough in your walk with the Lord to deal with that. That's why most churches won't deal with it because they don't have the strength to take the backlash because they will form a posse out there and get people to say, Brandon's unloving, or Rock Harbor's unloving, or, or you're, uh, Shannon's unloving, the way she counseled me. Eric's unloving because he what he told me. Monica's unloving. Brett's unloving, whatever. David is unloving because of what he told me. And we're only telling them the truth. They're fighting you because it's a spiritual issue and they want to sin. I know that's hard for people to grasp, but they do. They want to sin and act and pretend that nothing is happening, that there are no ramifications and consequences for their behavior. Let me ask you this. David sinned against God. He sinned against Uriah didn't he? Had him put in the front lines and indirectly got him killed. He had already committed adultery with the Bathsheba already, right? But he was trying to pin the tail on the donkey about her pregnancy, okay? So let me ask you this. 
Was David forgiven? Yes. But did David have consequences that never left him? A lot of them. You're not going to build the temple because you're a man of blood. That didn't mean about him being, going to war. It's because he indirectly killed Uriah. He had blood on his hands because of that. Okay? And you're not going to build a temple. The sword is never going to leave your family. You're going to have family problems until the day you die. Now, those are consequences that came with the penalty of doing what he did. Yet he's forgiven. Okay? Kadesh Barnea refused to go in the promised land. Okay? So the penalty for not going in the promised land, you're all going to die. Everyone... Um, above 20 years old, is dying in the desert. But I forgive you, Numbers chapter 14. So, so God forgives the rebellion of not going in the promised land, but they're all gonna die in the desert. Are they forgiven? Yes. Do they have consequences? Yes. The problem with these types of people is they think that even when you issue forgiveness, that there should be no consequences that oh just okay forgive me i made a mistake but okay well you can't serve in this area now oh man that's so mean no no this is a part of the consequence we forgive you and that's not forgiveness yes it is biblical forgiveness forgives the person for what they've done and withholds the penalty that is due to them but issues consequences right so husbands that, or, or spouses that cheat on each other, uh, I'll, I'll be with them in counseling, and I said, okay, buddy, um, so now she needs to track you because we can't trust you with your time. And so now you're going to carry a cell phone. This was a long time ago when I was counseling, when people didn't have cell phones. You're going to carry a cell phone. You're going to call in periodically through the day so she knows where you're at. I can't do that. I, 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 feel, I feel like I've went to jail. Too bad. Too bad. I said, you're the dummy who went and committed adultery. I said, so you lose rights. No one can trust you anymore. She's supposed to th think that she can trust you with what you're doing. I wouldn't trust you as far as I can throw you. So you're going to get the cell phone. And you're going to call in. And you're, gonna, you're not going to have un accountable time where no one knows where you're at. Oh, I, that's, that's, I'm not going for that because that's like putting me in prison. You should, she should forgive me. Yeah, I said, no, she does forgive you. And the fact that she's taking you back. But, we, you know, your trust has to be earned back. And it might, might, that might take a decade. And so they don't like that. They don't like that their life has now been curtailed because no one can trust them anymore. It's just like with an addict. Someone gets addicted. What's, the, what's, the, what's the, 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 the number one thing an addict does as far as the Ten Commandments? They lie. That becomes part of how they manage life. Okay? They lie, they lie, they lie. So if I'm dealing with an addict, are you, and, and they say, you know what? I'm stopping right now. Am I going to trust them day one? No. We're going to let this go. Let's see week one. Let's see week two. Let's see six months. Let's see a year. Let's see how this goes. And then I can trust you if you show a pattern of trustability. 
That's how it works. But this concept, well, I gave it up, forgive me now, and just give me my freedom back. Nope, we don't give you your freedom back. You earn your freedom back. You lost your freedom, and you earn it back. And, and that's, that's biblical, but a lot of people, they don't like that. And so they, they pitch a fit, and you're the victim. Okay, if you haven't seen this with your kids, because this is where you will see it with your kids, they will get mad at you for disciplining them and play the victim that mom and dad are too harsh. Now, if you haven't seen that, I don't know what kind of kid you have. Maybe you have an angel with wings in your house. But kids will always do this. It's inherent in the nature of the sin nature to play the victim. Because I, I, how do I know that? I go back to the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned, what did they start doing? Play the victim. It's the woman you gave me, right? Blame. He blamed God that I'm just a victim in all this, and you gave me a woman that would cause me to sin, and then the woman blames the serpent, right? It's, it's the whole thing. So you should see it in your kids. It's normal. They will do this to you, uh, and they do it all the time to me. They never do anything wrong, anything. Mess? Who made that mess? I don't know. Well, somebody did. It wasn't me. And they will both face lie to you. It wasn't me. And it was. But that's they, the, 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 but you, you have to grow out of that when you become an adult. But what you start realizing is most adults don't grow out of that. They do not grow out of that. And they, they, um, we have a problem right now with, with adults is because they exhibit adolescent behavior at age 45. And that's a problem. It's one thing to deal with a 16-year-old or a 14 or 15-year-old that's doing that. But 45? People should know better. And Christians that should know better? That's what gets really irritating. But it's because it's a spiritual problem. Now, what's the problem with, with, with the spiritual problem with the person if they're a believer? The problem is they haven't matured to a level of taking responsibility and ownership for their lives. They just won't do it. And so that becomes a major problem with them because to them, life is bad and, and uh, they didn't make the mess. Someone else made the mess for them. So they, they grow up and our culture actually teaches them this to be victims rather than survivors, okay? And there's a big difference between the two. A victim, there's, there's legitimate things that happen to us. But the issue is, are you going to survive it or are you going to continue to be a victim? You're a victim when it happens, and that's it. At that point, once it's over, the responsibility biblically is, you've got to rehab yourself and survive this. And you've got to deal with life because it's stinking hard. And you're going to get more junk thrown at you the rest of your life. It's not going to be easy. So are you going to be a survivor or are you going to say, this bad thing happened to me, so, so it, dis it disabled me, and now I can't function as a normal adult? That person has made that decision, and that's why they won't take the blame for anything. They don't take responsibility for their lives, nor will they ever, unless they repent and get on the right track. So they like the victimhood. It gives them an out to not be responsible. That's what they're teaching our kids in school. It's not my fault I got bad grades. It's the teacher. 
right? I, I don't know how many times I've heard that from my kids. That teacher has it out for me. It's you don't study. That's your problem. I never see you study. You go in and you think you can wing tests. And you're crazy because you can't. But, oh, she doesn't like me. And then what they start realizing is that they learn how to butter up the teacher. I'm like, man, you, you guys are like politicians. <laughs> you go in there and, and the, you know, teacher's pet type of thing, and they, they're wiggling out of a C minus, a, a C minus to a B minus because they're smoozing. You're like, where did you learn that? Because I didn't teach you that. Oh, it's in the nature. It's in the sin nature. So the, the, the great thing about watching these victim people, they're great schmoozers. They schmooze their way in, and everyone loves them. And then and they, 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 what's the word, the terminology I'm looking for? Where you, it's not, it's not it, you schmooze. Finagle, buffalo. They, yeah, charming. Yeah, there you go, charming. Uh, ingratiate themselves. Those kinds of things. Uh, we call it something in the secular world differently than that. Um, so I can't use that. But those types of individuals know they, 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 they're a victim and so they, this is the way they smooth their way so they're not responsible for anything. And then when you know, they got their relationship, when they do make a mistake, no one comes down on them. No one, no one holds them accountable. Well, that's Joe, and he's a good old guy, and you know, I like him. And, but yeah, Joe, Joe, he dropped the ball, dude. He lost you, your company $10,000 today because he didn't do what he was supposed to do, or whatever it might be. So what happens is these types of individuals constantly victim victim. I've asked people <clears throat> in counseling, I said, uh, let me ask you this. I've told you all you need to know about what's going on in you. I've told you the solution of how to get out of that. How come you won't make the transfer over to the solution? Well, I don't know. You don't know? No, I don't know. What, 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 what is it? I, re I really want to be on this side and be more like Christ, and I really want to do good. And uh, I, I just don't know how to go from my junk to the new life in Christ. I said, well, here's, let me tell you what the problem is. You like being a victim. And they're like, What? I said, yeah, you love it. I said, that's your sugar stick. And you're like, well, what do you mean? I go, that's how you've learned to cope with life. That's why you don't want to give it up because if you had to give up your victim mentality, um, you, you, you wouldn't know how to manage life in the new arena of faith because you manage life differently in God's program than what you have learned in your hell that you have created. I said, so what do you think being a victim prevents you from doing? And this is the, re the main reason why you can't cross over into the abundant life and live the way Christ wants you to live. I don't know. I don't know. It's always I don't know, but they do know. 
I said, number one, you're lazy. Okay? Let's just get that on the table for everyone to understand. You're lazy. Common trait among all human beings is we become spiritually lazy. You can be the hardest worker, but still be spiritually lazy. Spiritual laziness is a problem. It's all through the book of Proverbs, right? There's a lion outside. I don't want to chance it. So I'm going to stay inside, right? That's the excuses lazy people make. And what did he call the guy who buried his talent? You wicked and lazy servant, okay? Laziness is a big spiritual problem because it takes a lot of work to become mature, okay? So I said, number one, you're lazy. And number two, if you're a victim, then you're not responsible for your life. And that's your out. That's why you don't want to leave it. Because over here in God's arena, you're responsible for, for everything. You're responsible to use the tools he provided. You're responsible to ask him for grace and mercy. And you're responsible to get yourself out of bed and come to church. And come to Bible studies. And have accountability. And, and, and go to uh, men's or women's Bible studies. The problem is you're lazy. And there's no excuse for that. That's why you can't cross over into the abundant life and at least get yourself out of that. Now, those of you who have crossed over, you know what hard work it takes. It's, it's not easy. It is a hellish nightmare to let parts of you die. Because there ain't no way you're getting over here unless parts of you die. And that's what God is saying. I need you to die to that. I need that part of you dead. I need this part of you dead and that part of you dead. And you're like, what? And every part burns like fire when you decide to leave it. It hurts the pain of fire, you know, that concept. When you die to self, you are being crucified right? At that, those parts of you are being crucified and it hurts. That's why people also don't want to go over because of the pain of leaving their old self. It burns. It hurts. And so it keeps them stuck. They won't, they won't, they won't make the move over. So they play the victim. So when they get in trouble and someone nails them for it, not my fault. You're the perpetrators. You're the mean guys not me, okay? And that's what they're training our kids to do. I mean, think about this. Um, in, in, in when a kid goes through, um, through high school and they come out and they graduate and we, we hand them a diploma and they can't even read, right? Who's ultimately responsible for that kid to read? He is. Don't forget, we're Americans, He's responsible, ultimately, if he reads or not. He is. Now, we do our job as parents, school does their job or whatever, but at the end of the day, the kid, eventually, who's growing up to be an adult, at some point, they got to own it. Why don't you learn to read? Because Abraham Lincoln taught himself to read. So did a lot of other people. They taught themselves to read. They were motivated. Why aren't you motivated? Because you're lazy. That's why. You're lazy. It's not because you have a bad upbringing. There's plenty of people that had bad upbringings and they made it. 
and they learned and they went to school and they went to college and they went and they're doctors now or whatever. And they didn't have an easy life. How come you get to play the victim and say, poor me, they didn't teach me good enough in school. Well, you should have went elsewhere. You should have had to figure it out how to do your math and how to do your reading. But we have, we're graduating them by the thousands every year, guys. And they're becoming the next business owners and they're becoming the next generation in politics. And they all have a victim mentality. We're dead. We're dead as a country if you have that kind of mentality. That's what the communists and the socialists and the Marxists figured out in indoctrinating kids is make them all victims. And no one's ever to blame. They're not to blame, okay? So what do they do? The classic case in point, the politicians will say, people act like criminals because they don't have the, the proper environment right? That, that they don't have enough means, they don't have enough money, they don't have enough familial support, so the state will help them, okay? But is that true? No. From a biblical standpoint, what's the worldview say? It's not your environment that causes the problems for you. It's you. So the Bible confronts us on a personal level, and confronts everybody. It's you. You're the problem. So what do, what do I mean? The biblical characters were dirt poor. Mary and Joseph, dirt poor. They acted godly. Don't tell me money has to, deal, has to do with you acting nice. It doesn't. Money doesn't mean anything. Your status doesn't mean anything. These people that have all the money, these people that have all the status, they're creeps. They're absolute, their lives are a mess, a wreck. They, they do weird stuff. They're into pedophilia. They're, they're weirdos. And they have all the money. How come they don't act nice? They want to kill us. You see what I'm saying? So this, this victim mentality comes from Satan. And you and I, on a personal level, can't adopt this. It cannot be part of us. So what you want to live as is a survivor. Are you a survivor? Okay, That means you're not going to sit there. You're going to fight your way back. You're going to fight to your potential that God has for you. And you're not going to let anybody stop you. Because your job is to maximize your potential for Christ, to get the maximum amount of rewards, to earn all the rewards. If you play the victim, you're not going to get some of those rewards. Do not make excuses for yourself. If that's what you want, go after it. It's yours for the taking. You have all of them available that he wants to give them to you, but it's on you. You can't blame what happened to you when you were younger. You can't blame all this other jump for where you're at right now. Where you're at right now is your choice. Okay? And you own it, and you go for it. There's only one, one person stopping you, is you. And you've got to get rid of this victim mentality. 
Now, hey, it's easy to get in the victim mentality. I mean, you can have bouts of it, you know, for, for a season or a couple days or an hour or two, and you're like, ah, oh, man, poor me. But that's okay if you can get out of that quickly. But if you become a perpetual victim, that's the problem. That's the problem. And it's in every area of your life, every area of a, your life. Well, you know, uh, Brandon, you know, you just, you just don't know my past. I don't need to know your past. God knows it. I don't need to know it. God knows your past. And he's saying there's nothing that has happened to you that you can't recover from. Look, if Holocaust survivors can survive the Holocaust, for goodness sake, what's that say about us? None of us are facing the Holocaust, right? I mean, you got to think in those terms, okay? Let's go to the next one. The next one that Satan does is he creates rebellion to spiritual authority. Rebellion to spiritual authority. Now, in the church, obviously, the authority, you know, pastors, deacons, you know, people running a particular ministry that have been granted those authorities and stuff like that. So I think you understand the authority structure in the church, so I don't need to belabor that. But what these individuals do to promote division is they go after spiritual authority. And then again, do they know that they're doing it? Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But, like I said, it's not about whether they know it or not. It's whether or not they are illustrating the behavior which is satanic. If they are illustrating the behavior that is satanic, then I know who is influencing them. That's the point. And like I said, believers can be influenced by Satan and not even know it. Peter was influenced by Satan, right? If Peter can be influenced by Satan, uh, we can too. Okay, so this not submitting to a spiritual authority. Um, how do you know this is happening? How would you identify this? Okay, For instance, like if you go outside of the church to a business, Okay? You go to a business, you work for a business, um, God has ordained the spiritual authority you know, as the boss and, and whatnot, your manager and your supervisor, those are the lines of authority that is, God has created. How would I know if the person working for me doesn't submit to my authority? That's first of all, they just won't do it. But even before I start barking out commands like, hey, I need you to do this, and hey, I need you to do that, and this and that, the first thing you need to look for, are they willing to serve anywhere I put them? That's a big one, okay? I have noticed over the years that people that don't submit to authority, even though I had no experience with them, want positions of authority and power right off the bat. Right off the bat. Okay? I'll give you an example of, and I use this all the time, and you might have heard me say it. Um, A doctor uh, wanted to help out an orphanage in India. And... uh, you know, he's, he's you know highly skilled doctor and he's gonna make the, the trip over to India, stay several weeks and help them out with the health of the, of the children there. So he went there. 
So he gets there on first day and he shows up and he's got all his gear. He's ready to treat the patients, the kids, whoever needs medical help. So he gets there and he says, okay, what do you need me to do? And the first thing out of the ministry director's mouth is, we need you to go clean those toilets over there. He says, what? I'm here as a doctor to help the kids medically. Well, I know you're a doctor, but what we need right now is for you to go clean those toilets. So you either go clean the toilets or get yourself back on the plane and go home. And you know why they said it to him? Because he wasn't having a servant's attitude. A servant says, put me to work, I'll do whatever you need me to do. And you prove yourself faithfully in a few things, I will put you in charge of many things principle. You don't start out at the top. You serve wherever the need is. You need me over here, I'll help kids. You need me to sharpen pencils, I'll sharpen pencils. You need me to go clean the toilets, I'll go clean the toilets. Whatever you need. See, what God's looking for in this kind of person, or all of us, is willing to surrender to whatever he wants us to do. Okay? We don't get to pick and choose, hey, God, I'm only going to do this, and I'm only going to do this, and I'm only going to do it for a certain amount of time, and I will not do this, and I will not, if that's not a servant's mentality. That's the person that won't submit to authority when they're telling you what they will and won't do. Okay? How did it change? Pass that microphone to her. She asked, how did this change, this mentality change that we have now? Go ahead. Oh, so when I first started nursing, it was like over 30 years ago, it was like we were knights. We didn't question where they put us. We did what they told us to do, right? And, and then when I was ready to get out of nursing, we were interviewing all these new nurses and the charge nurses would be in an interview and they're like, okay, I can't work weekends. I'm not going to work nights. Uh, I can only work these hours. And I'm like, yeah, do you even want to work? Yeah. And you know, and I hear this all the time. So where did it, how? Well, unfortunately it probably happened with my generation. That's where it's coming from a lot. Um, and, uh, it's, a. It, it's early, you know, in my generation, you had these, these um, narcissistic parents raising latchkey kids. And, uh, and what ended up happening is the latchkeys, like me, get out. And uh, we, were, we were taught entitlement. We're so special. Um, you know, and, um, and then we did the same thing to our kids. We entitled them and said they're little kings and princes and... You know, we, 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 here's the thing what started happening in parenting. Instead of letting the kid see the hard knocks of life, we started shielding them and patting them from the hard knocks of life to where we were not going to allow them to have any problems in life. Someone's bullying you, I'll be right down, mom, and, and I'll, be, I'll take care of that little girl for you. And the mom would do it. That's, I mean, there's now statements in schools like, hey, we'll take care of it. We don't need other parents getting involved in other kids. But why? Because the mama bears have crossed lines now. You mess with my kid, I'll mess with your kid. 
Really? I mean, that, that's an entitlement mentality. And so my generation, I think, started this entitlement mentality in parenting, and we got even worse with our own kids because we didn't, the latchkey has, uh, they're wounded narcissists, and so is the millenniums. But um, the latchkey says, I'm not gonna put my kid through what I had to go through with the latchkey situation, so I'm going to create an idol out of my child. And the, the cult of the idol is well, well inside Christianity. And the idea is, little Johnny, do you want to eat right now? No. Um, what would you like to eat tonight? I want a steak and baked potato. Oh, okay. We'll, we'll call up, uh, you know, uh, Black Angus and get you that steak and potato. And say, hey, dude, this is the meal, and it's beans and franks, and if you don't want to eat it, tough. That all changed. It all changed to... This kid is sitting in our living room on a throne. He's like a king. Mom and dad, I want to be entertained. Bring me a joker. And he's sitting there. I'm hungry. Bring me the head of a pig. Bring me a goblet. And he's sitting there. And, and it's like, okay, whatever you say, sire. And the parents are running around like this. They've become slaves to the child. That's what's created this. I, I, I don't work on weekends. I don't work on holidays. And I don't work uh, when I don't feel like good. Feel that good. So how much sick leave do I have? And how much vacation do I have? That's the first thing they want to know. So companies, what have companies had to do? They have to combine sick leave and vacation time because these people, they burn up everything. There's no, they're, 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 they, don't, they don't work. But it changed, I think, with my generation. And now we're reaping the results of uselessness just absolutely useless employees as kids or, or or millennials or whatever you want to call them yeah jim let's get a mic to jim real quick uh, brandon i remember specifically a date in kern county and i know this happened in other states but uh art used to be judged during we had a countywide art festival in went back to the 40s and all of a sudden in 1978 the art educator for the city of Bakersfield of all the Kern County school districts and everything said no we can't enter judging for our kids now this was the biggest school district in the whole county which would completely ruin the art program for all K through 12 right. in the county. In other words, if you can't judge art in the city of Bakersfield, then no other, what can you do? Because we'd have judges go out every year for the kids. There'd be three judges go to each area. And, and this was a given. Yeah. And this was, of course, like you said, that was the generation my daughters were brought up in. They were in their grade school at that time. But uh, that was the beginning of the end for, you know, sensitivity. You had to bless the kids. They, all you could do for them at that point was give them a recognition that they entered. There was no judge. You couldn't do that because it would hurt somebody's feelings. Yeah. So what you're seeing there, Jim, is that's an element of Marxism where you take away competition, right? 
they, Marxism doesn't like competition. And, and Marxism doesn't like meritocracy. Okay? That's the problem. So you take away competition. That's why everyone's fleeing out of the U.S. Army and the Navy and the Air Force and Marines. Do you know why? Because the system now is not meritocracy anymore. It's skin color. And people are fleeing out of the military because they don't have the right skin color. Because the militaries went woke. Okay? So when the mili- we had, the, we had the, the premier military of the whole world when it was based on meritocracy. It's not that way anymore. So now in the schools, Jim, like you're pointing out, whether it's art, we can't judge an art thing because it hurts people's feelings. That's the idea of competition. So, so God wants competition. What does competition do to the individual? They strive to do their best and to do better the next time and to practice and to get better and achieve more as a human being. But when there's no competition and you're discouraged from competi- uh, competing, you have a populace that won't create, that won't strive for better life. They will just exist, which is exactly what Marxism wants. You've got to have competition. It's a godly thing. I think a lot of it, too, is uh, uh, child labor laws. I remember going to work with my dad, working out. Uh, that have vocational job, uh, vocational classes in high school where they taught you how to turn wrenches. You learned that. You failed at that. And they, basically it's just reading books, and that's all you're going to do. So when you get a job, you're expect, you, know, you, yeah. you want to do is read books and no hands-on stuff. No hand, yeah, they took that out of the schools as well. Yeah. They took welding out. They took wood shop. They took auto mechanic. They took it all out. Because the Marxists want them to go through the system, right? So the lie, remember I told you, the lie in, in, that came infiltrated into the schools is go to school, uh, go to college, and then you can have the right life you want. That's wrong. That's a lie. It's not true at all. Uh, you can make plenty of money without going to college and getting yourself in debt. And what, right now, that's the same mantra, and they put these kids in hundreds of thousand dollars worth of debt, never can get out bill it's, it's the same thing with sports one of the reasons i got a coaching last year i was coaching at varsity level a friend of mine we had 75 kids go out for freshman basketball we were told we can't cut anybody but how are you going to have 75 kids play. on a basketball team we didn't have enough units we were giving them uh uniforms from highland high school that were 20 years old they look like uh a six-year-old putting on my my jeans I bet it, it was you know and then everybody gets a trophy and it is. It's the everybody gets a trophy at Rusty's Pizza Parlor. And, and, and you look at that, and it's destroying kids. But, wh- wh- hey, but what does that teach them? Okay, no competition. It doesn't, it, it, they're, they're just, there's no reason to practice anymore. If you're in sports and there's no competition and, and everyone gets a trophy, why practice? Why in the world practice? Just show up. Oh, because everyone gets a trophy. That is Marxism to the core. That is the most unbiblical thing. And what does God say? Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And work as unto the Lord, which means that Jesus is your boss and you are work at a high level serving him. Well, that brings a whole new dynamic. That means competition. That means you can fail. 
That means your feelings will get hurt. Good. That might be a good learning experience because the next time you decide not to practice and you show up to a game and you lose, you'll learn that next time. Uh, That's what I learned in athletics. You're not going to just throw your cleats out there and you win the game. You better do the back work to get out there. But now today, the kids don't want to practice. You know, in the NFL, a lot of the guys don't want to practice anymore. Tom Brady doesn't practice. I just show up. You know, I'll miss, through, I'll, I'll miss walkthroughs on Saturday because Tom's going to go to a wedding uh, of uh, Kraft, I think Kraft, the owner of um, the Patriots. He went to a wedding, and you had an 80-year-old marrying a 40-year-old, and he goes to that wedding. And, and, and what did Tom Brady do? He just mixed, missed walkthroughs on Saturday, and then it, they get their butts kicked the next day. Well, Tom, you're not practicing. What do you think would happen? You see what I'm saying? What's the problem with Tom Brady? As an illustration, what's the problem? I told the men this. What's the problem with Tom Brady? He has too many Super Bowl rings. (laughs) Maybe. Well, he's, yeah, his wife's a witch. Did you know that? Yeah, and she makes altars for him, and then he participates eating, drinking potions. I mean, Tom Brady is full warlock, okay? He is. He follows exactly what... Now, they're getting a divorce, but up until this point, I'm serious, man. This is like no joke. She is flat out doing all kinds of weird witchcraft stuff for Tom, and Tom participates in it. So Tom's like a warlock, man. It's really bad, really, really bad. Anyway... um, The problem with Tom, and I think Jason Whitlock said it the best, he has an entitlement mentality, which is like the most most of the NFL, most of the Major League Baseball, most of the NBA. I mean, look at LeBron James. That dude has an entitlement mentality. Who does he think he is? He's he's dumber than a box of rocks, so he's not been educated, but he he just parrots mantras that he hears from the left. He's a sellout to China, right? All, I mean, that's what they're doing. Okay, but you know, Whitlock was saying, and he's totally right. What's the problem? Tom Brady won't submit to a spiritual authority. Well, what do you mean? Do you know he retired because he didn't want to be, uh, have the, the coach, Aries, there at Tampa Bay, so he retired. Then they brought in a new coach, and then he came back on. Because entitlement says, just like your nurses are saying, I won't work for this, I won't work for that person, I only work this day, and I want Wednesdays off and, and Saturday walkthroughs off. That's Tom Brady's schedule. He doesn't practice on Wednesday, and he doesn't do the walkthroughs. So he's the epitome of our culture. He's the epitome of our culture. And so when you say, when did this happen? It's been happening for a long time to where we get these people that want to submit to authority. What was his problem with Belichick? As an example, what's the problem with Tom Brady and Belichick? Belichick is the spiritual authority. He didn't like that because Tom's too big for his britches, right? So I moved to Tampa Bay, and then I don't like that. Get rid of that coach, and I come back on. He doesn't like spiritual authority. And how would I know that? Because witches don't like spiritual authority. That's why they do what they do. And him as a warlock would, would not accept God's spiritual authority in his life. So he, just, he wants it all. He wants no authority. So the first thing you recognize with people is they will start telling you what they won't submit to. 
And if you get that signal right away, get rid of them. Nope, there's no place for you. Sorry. I've done that several times. Yeah, go ahead, get, get the mic to him. Uh, two things. One, I feel like every one of these messages, you're talking directly to me. Well, I don't, I don't, um, I'm not doing that. They're like, they're just written that way. It's like, each week I'm having a specific problem and I show up to church and you're like, <laughs> I know exactly what you're going through. Watch me look at you in the eyes and just tear you up for it for an hour and a half. Um, which I love. Let's, I love this church. Uh, my question though spirit. is. That ain't me, man. Um, I mean, you know, the Lord works in wonderful ways. Um, my question is, uh, as someone who is, uh, well, I mean, you're a dude, this won't be weird. You're older than me by like another whole person. And, uh, <laughs> you, you've got a lot more experience like in the world. That old. Oh, I mean, gosh. <laughs> all right, man. I, 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 you know, Anyways, I have salt and pepper. All right. And I'll admit it. So can't see. I admit it. Someone who's you know not, you know, as spry as he used to be, and is had oh, just more <laughs> and has like a you know more experience in the world. Okay. Does it look like we are heading towards correction, or are we going to continue to slide? Like, is this something that I will be like, yeah, you know, my pastor used to teach about this before they executed him. He, you know, he really. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, is this yeah. something that's going to get corrected? Or no, you're right. Look like we're getting worse. It's, good. it's a good point. Good question without digging yourself a hole uh, about my age. Um, what you're seeing is the point of no return. Because what's behind not submitting to spiritual authority? Because if you take it all the way through, it's not submitting to God's authority. So we have rebellion in the world, and they promote rebellion. And so, um, Wyatt, I honestly don't think we come back from this. It's, it's too pervasive. It's in every part of society. We're, you're watching thousands of kids graduate with this mentality or, or, or in our country that have an entitlement mentality. They write books on this stuff. And uh, until somebody wakes up out of that spiritual stupor, they will remain in the spiritual stupor, and they get worse the longer they're there. And I, I, I don't see an end to this. And, and at, at the end of it, okay, so, so what's at the end of this? Uh, what's behind not submitting to a spiritual authority? It's narcissism. It's narcissism. Okay, what, well, why? Because narcissists think they're the center of the world and they have become a god unto themselves and they will call the shots for their life. No god no pastor, no Bible is going to tell them how to live. That's the ultimate of narcissism. So they, a narcissist is the ultimate victim and they do not submit to authority because they're the ultimate authority. So why, I don't think we come back. We have created a generation of narcissists, clinical, not just having a season of narcissism, clinical narcissism. Why is that a problem if it's clinical? Brandon, um, so in the case of somebody like Tom, Tom uh, Brady, um, as he refused to submit to the spiritual authority and he turned his back on that, is there at some point where he was uh, making a deal with the devil? I think so, Terry. I hate to say this, and I, I, don't, I, know, I don't mean to you know, uh, scare anybody, I find it very unusual that 
all through this, she could predict when he would win the Super Bowl. All through, and when he wouldn't, she would tell him, this year's not your year, you're not gonna win, and he wouldn't. And so she was tapped in, Terry, to some very, when you're a witch, you're tapped into the demonic, man. And then when he practices the rituals, I mean, she would literally go to his locker room and set up an altar in his locker room and she would make him drink a potion and, all, it's, and chant certain mantras and weird stuff like, I mean, I, I didn't know it was this bad until I read about it. And that means he's fully immersed into the occult. Okay, here's the funny thing about Tom Brady. The guy doesn't even work out hardly, but he never gets injured. Why is that? Why does he never get injured? I mean, guys in the NFL going down left and right. I mean, every game after an NFL game, they'll have a laundry list of, okay, torn ACL, sprained, uh, sprained MCL, all this other, boom, boom, boom. There's just, he never gets hurt. He never gets hurt. Why? I think it's demonic. I think it's demonic. And so, Terry, you're hitting on something that I have thought for a long time about this guy, that, man, you get tapped in, you start getting supernatural powers and stuff like that. They start aiding you. And if she's got, if she's got tapped into demons that are actually helping her, they will assist Tom Brady in his efforts. Okay? They will. Now, I'll use another example. In the Hollywood scene and in the music scene, these people have literally done deals with the devil, okay? They have sold their souls out to Satan, and you know what starts happening to them? The music that they create gets downloaded to their brains, and then they produce a number one hit. And they will admit they didn't write the song. It came to their brain, and it was like downloaded, dumped into their head by this creature and some of the things you probably heard on, on the radio from these people was written by a demon. But, the, the, but then, then you move to Hollywood. Same thing. Many of them sell themselves out to Satan to get parts and different things. And you know what? It does work. It does work. Why would their people be attracted to it if it didn't work? Because it does work. But they sold, what, what they, the bargain they make is so devastating that they don't realize on the back end how much it will take out of them. It will literally kill them. Um, and so at the end of the day, Terry, you're hitting on a good point. And I've always thought this about Tom. If you're that involved in the occult, then I know something supernatural is going on around you. You've got demons around you. I don't know. My explain for the weirdness, um, I don't know. I, I, I don't understand how the guy doesn't get hurt. It's weird. Where am I at, Julia? And then here. back over here. This is not sports related because I'm not a sports fan, but it goes back to, and I'm going to say a ray of hope for our society and our world. If you go back to World War, pre-World War I, my dad's era, he said the world was just nosediving into immorality and thievery and what debauchery. And he said the only thing that saved us was a war. Huh, interesting. So... Yeah. Wow. Heaven forbid that's what might change the attitudes of these kids. Well, they're, they're ready to do a nuclear war, that's for sure, already. Maybe, maybe that will wake them up, I hope. The funny thing is, in the tribulation, God's sending angels around 
understand they hear the angel speak and what do these people do they go back to worshiping demons and idols after seeing an angel flying in the air proclaiming the everlasting gospel holy moly that's a hard heart i would like to suggest without not submitting to spiritual authority that maybe it the only hope we have is a spiritual moral awakening that's right it has nothing else so it is not hopeless yeah um, um, there has to be that because it's a spiritual issue. It's not a political issue. Um, it's not, you know, getting the right people in. I mean, we all, we all want to vote and make sure, you know, that happens. But at the end of the day, it is a spiritual battle. And uh, I, hope, um, I hope things can be turned around. But um, I, I, I have a very grim outlook on that based on what I'm seeing on the ground. But yeah, short of a miracle of God, yes. Where am I at? Okay, over there. Speaking of Hollywood, um, can a demon approach a person who may be green in maturity and open to whatever could happen out there because they just, they don't have the experience of the evil that can happen in Hollywood. If, can a demon ruin a good kid that may not go their way, the oh, way? Yes, they can. And a demon can lead them astray. Um, it all starts then, you know, with the kid thing and teenagers. It, it starts with uh, what have they opened themselves up to, you know? And um, um, you don't know. You don't know. Um, but I, I can say this, you know, if... if, if the parents are, if at least one of the, the parents are believers, it sanctifies the whole house, according to the Apostle Paul. It gives them a special protection, okay? So you have that aspect. Um, but kids of unbelievers don't have that special protection because they don't have a believer in the house. So those kids become vulnerable. Um, you know, I have a great story about this, and I, I saw them in Vegas at Billy's Church uh, Sunday. Um, I think I've told you this story, but the gal approached me last year. I was over there speaking, and um, she came to me and said that um, the little girl, she was two at the time, was dealing with demons, and the demons, um, she had like a play partner that was a demon. And I, the first thing I said to them, I said, if they're, they're doing this to the child, I said, where's the entry point? What's going on? And um, I said, are you doing anything? Or how about someone coming in the house? She says, well, I have my fiance and he's dabbling with Ouija boards. He's dabbling with, you know, all kinds of occultic things. I said, there it is. That's your entry point. And they're using him to get to her. So she would have these, these friends and she would you know, invite him to the table and they go, well, where is he? Well, he's right there looking at all. So don't you see him? And it wasn't an imaginary friend because this, this creature wanted access to the rest of the house and, and, and to their family. And so I said, you need, to get, you need to tell that guy either get lost or repent and stop and uh, because it's affecting the two-year-old. Now, the, you're like, what door did the two-year-old open? She didn't. It's the mom who did. For some reason, they can do that if the parents open the door. And I can't tell you how many accounts I see that. It doesn't seem fair, but it does happen. So 
you know, I'm not, I'm not saying it's fair. I'm just saying it does happen. And so the good news is I saw that woman last Sunday. And I saw her little girl. She's three now. And I saw her husband. So I said, what happened? And she's, she, her fiance, she, she went home. She cried all night after I talked to her and realized what the, the game had to stop, right? So she confronted him. <clears throat> he repents. He stops. They eventually get married. And they were at the church on Sunday that I was at. And the stuff had stopped. And it's a, it's a, 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 a tribute to, to not only her to put the boundaries down saying, I can't get, stay with you if you're going to continue to do this. And then it's a tribute to him saying, I repent, I'm not going to do this, and now he's a follower of Christ. And, and so the good news is everything has stopped. And this little girl's only three years old. She's a little girl. And um, it stopped. But what's, what's the point? That's a good thing that happened. It can stop, but if it's a child, the parents have to stop it. Because if you have degenerate parents that are allowing that stuff and messing with Ouija boards and doing, it will affect the kids. Don't, don't, I, I can't explain it, but it appears in the spiritual realm that that gives them permission to go after the kids. So... It's always important that when Paul says at least one believer is in the house, it sanctifies the whole house, that's important on the spiritual level. That's very, very important. So, but anyway, it, it, it was a good, a good end of a story. I, I, I don't hear too many of those like that. Okay, am I, got questions? Okay, you're good there. Okay, so um, let's finish with that. And, 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 and let me say one more thing before we go on spiritual authority. Whether that's in the home, whether that's in the family, in the home, obviously the spiritual authority is the male, okay? In a family, it's a patriarch. It's not a matriarch. Your family should not be matriarchs. They should be patriarchs. Your home and your marriage should be the spiritual leader is the man, okay? That doesn't mean he runs roughshod over everybody and, you know, he's just a lunatic and an authoritarian. It means that he's a servant leader. He looks to lead by serving that's what, it, what you're looking for. And, and, and then, with spiritual authority, submitting to spiritual, you only submit if they're telling you to do biblical things. Okay? I'm, I gotta make that caveat because you are not obligated to submit to biblical authority or worldly authority or church authority if it contradicts the Bible. Then you say, not happening. You can do that in a marriage, a family, a church, and even with the government. Okay? It's not a blanket, obey all authority. It's not that. Only if they're in concert with God. Okay? That's very important. All right, we've got to take a five minute break. We'll come back and do some current events. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.